Amen. Well, thanks. There you go. <laughs> thanks, Matt. Woo, this may be my last Sunday. Hey. Uh, hey, guys. Um, I'm just trying to be all things to all people. First Corinthians 9 kind of guy. Um, you know, that's what Paul tried to do to everybody so he could win some people to Christ. And we know that a lot of OSU fans need Jesus. And so, you know, I wanted to, uh, to wear this uh, today just in honor of all of our OSU fans and alumni that are here uh, central or online. Man, what a great game that was yesterday. My father-in-law is really mad at me right now. <laughs> He's sitting right back there. <laughs> uh, but man, um, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped um, for all of you OSU fans. I know what it feels like to be that kind of that underdog all the time and just underperforming consistently because I'm an Aggie. And so that's what we, we naturally do in Texas. And so that's what happens up here in Oklahoma. But man, um, I, I'm pumped for today's um, message. Man, if you'd like to follow along with the message today, just take your phone out and scan that QR code. It's pretty amazing we can use technology um, like this to be able to, to follow along with, with the message um, for today and so you can save it and remember it. But, you know, thinking about, about phones, I remember back in when I was younger that, that I was in that era where we, phones were just coming out when I was, when I was younger. So a lot of you don't even re- realize that you've always had phones with you. Many of you in this room, you, you remember the days when there were no phones and what it was like to, to not have a phone. But I started out with technology by having a beeper. Anybody have a beeper? You know what I'm talking about? Having the beeper? How worthless were those? You know what I mean? I mean, they were great back in the day, but man, can you imagine going back to having a beeper today where someone would, would send their number and you had to go find a payphone or something to try to, try to call them back? Um, that was just crazy. But I, I, I started out with, with, with that. And then when I was in middle school, I got my first cell phone. And they, man, it was old school. And Texting was not even a thing. And then texting started to come out, and texting was expensive. I mean, you had to get the plan, and you had like, I had like 200 text messages a month or something, or whatever it was. You know, you had to pay per text message. That was crazy. And text messaging was hard back then, wasn't it? I mean, you didn't have the full keyboard, and so you just had the numbers. And so just to type like a simple message, it just took forever, and it didn't autocorrect, and it was just, it was awful. Remember how that was? And everybody said, texting will never work. It'll never work. This is dumb. And now you look at today, and actually, I prefer to text message. So if you want to get a hold of me, just text me. That's, that's my preferred method of communicating. But you know what I realize is that texting, even for the next generation, the younger generations, it's not the big thing anymore. I mean, like using Snapchat and other apps, that is the way that they communicate. That's the way teenagers communicate um, today. And so it's ever-evolving and ever-changing. But I remember when I was in elementary and middle school that the best way for us to communicate with each other was actually this. Do y'all remember these? You remember writing a letter in class and then you would fold it up into this little football thing and for the guys, you could play football with it, but that was the way that you write, the, write that person's, that special someone's name on it, you know, and you would hand it to them in class or in, in the hallway or something and they would open it up and there would be these, these great uh, flowing words or whatever and probably all misspelled and all that kind of stuff. But, but it was, that's when you, you gave, you know, some, some life-changing messages were in, were in these, these little notes like, will you go out with me or whatever, right? You know, and it's, you're just like, oh, please, Lord, please let, let her say yes or whatever. And so these, these, were, these were crazy. I don't know if you remember these, but, man, that, that brings, me, brings me way back. 
Well, today, and actually over the next four weeks, we're going to look at some, some real life-changing messages, because these are kind of silly, right? We're going to look at some real life-changing messages from Jesus himself. And so over during the month of, month of, kind of, month of Christmas time, instead of looking um, at maybe just the nativity scene, the typical way of, of doing Christmas, we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at him and talk about Christmas, but we're going to be looking at some life-changing things that he has said. And so we're titling this sermon series, Did He Just Say That? And yes, he did just say some of these things. And we're going to start off by looking at probably one of his most famous things that Jesus ever said. So here your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at the Great Commission. The Great Commission is one of the, the most profound and life-changing things. It didn't just affect one person. It wasn't just like a, a personal note handed to someone. But it is a message that has affected billions of people around the world throughout history, and it is profound. His statement changes everything. So let's look at it, starting in verse 19. You guys know this, right? I mean, you looked at this 100 times. Here's what it says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We, we guys get that, right? That's Jesus' call for us, the great commission for all believers to go and make disciples. Okay, we get that. But we often overlook what Jesus said right before that. So if you have your Bibles, just look a couple of verses up, starting in verse 16. we got to understand where Jesus was coming from when he gives the Great Commission. Here's what it says, starting in verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples, they went to Galilee, okay, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So eleven disciples, this is after the resurrection. Jesus has appeared to them several times and eaten with them, and so they, they know that he is real, and, they, and he says, hey guys, I want y'all to go to the, the mountain that we've been talking about, go up there and wait for me there. And so they go up there, and you can imagine them just hanging out and waiting for Jesus and praying and be confused about what's going on, and all of a sudden Jesus appears, and here's what it says in verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And that's kind of crazy, and you're thinking, what in the world does that mean? Well, they're worshiping Jesus as God, okay? It's, uh, as a Jewish person, you would only worship God. Okay? It would be blasphemy to, to worship anybody else. And so they, they recognize Jesus as God, but then it says some doubted. Now, did some doubt God? God? Did some doubt Jesus? Or were they doubting themselves? And I think it was probably the latter. They were doubting themselves that God was calling them to do something, and they're like, I don't know if I can do all this. I don't know if I have what it takes. And so Jesus says this. In the middle of their doubt, he says, verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he goes on and gives the Great Commission. Jesus uses this word, authority. It's a word we all deal with, don't we? I mean, because we all have authority issues, right? I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. Every one of us is under authority. Some of us have authority, but, but every one of us is under authority, whether it is a principal or a teacher or a coach um, or a parent or a boss or the government or any type of leadership. We are all under some kind of authority. We all live within that, and we are naturally rebellious towards it. I mean, think about when you were a little kid. You were naturally rebellious towards authority. And so when your parents told you to do something, your grandparents told you to do something, naturally, most of us, we want to do the opposite, especially if an older sibling told you to do something, you know, you'd want to go completely against what they had to say. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the ones who started it all, right? I mean, they, they were the ones who were naturally rebellious to authority, God's authority. They said, you know what? We can do this on our own. 
And we've seen what has happened. Sin has entered the world, and we live with the consequences, not just of them, but us every single day, that we, we do things that are naturally rebellious. And these are Jesus' words. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now, that's a bold statement. So let me ask this question. What is authority? What is authority? Well, authority is a term that represents power and control. Simple as that. Like when someone says, I'm in charge, or I'm the boss. Or like when your mom says, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Right? That is authority. Power and control. In this verse, this verse 18, it teaches us that the authority or the power in heaven and on earth is Jesus' authority. And Paul describes it this way in Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 16. He says this. This is this is monumental, this statement. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is, more than that, he is the head of the church, the body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In the most basic way, that what the Bible is saying here is that when it comes to all things in heaven and earth is that Jesus is in charge. If you're taking notes today, you can write that down. Jesus is in charge. That's what the Bible says. And we read it throughout the Gospels, all these times where it, it, it describes that Jesus has great authority and is in charge over things like diseases and, and over nature. He can control nature. Um, demonic beings, he has control and authority over them. And, and to the... the the crown jewel of it all is that he has authority even over death. The Bible says that Jesus has great authority. But when you combine what the Bible is saying about Jesus' authority with other verses, man, it can get a little crazy and get a little weird. Because Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is a pretty crazy verse as well. And when you think about Jesus' authority and you think about that statement and you put them together, here's, here's what it's kind of saying. That verse, Hebrews 13, 8, is putting a time stamp on Jesus' authority. And what it's saying is, is that Jesus' Jesus's authority has, has always been. He's always had authority. He, all, he, he has authority right now, and he will forever and always have authority. That's what it's describing about Jesus' authority. But this passage in verse 18 says something that's a little crazy. Jesus' words are, all authority in heaven and earth, what? Has been given to me. Who gave Jesus authority? Because I thought that Jesus has always had it. And that's what the Bible says. Jesus has always had authority. So who has given Jesus authority? Well, John chapter 3, verse 35, Jesus himself says that the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He's describing the uh, one aspect of the Trinity, okay, the Godhead, that God the Father has given God the Son all things into his hand. And Matthew eleven twenty seven 27 says the same thing. All things have been handed over to me by my father. My question is, hasn't Jesus always had authority? I mean, think about that. Has there been a time where Jesus didn't have authority? Because the Bible just said, Jesus just said, it was given to me. Well, if it was, something was given to Jesus, then didn't at one time he not have it? 
The answer is no. He's always had authority. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning, not talking about the beginning when Jesus was born, not talking about Christmas in the beginning. I'm talking about all the way from the beginning of time. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Bible just said that Jesus is completely God, and more than that, that he created everything. That's a totally different view of Jesus than the typical Christmas baby Jesus view of him. And I think the answer to, uh, to our question is, when did, how did Jesus get authority? Or who gave him authority? Is we had to realize that there is something that happened between the very beginning and Jesus being born. Something happened. Between creation and the birth of Christ, something changed. Something happened. And what happened is, is that Jesus, he humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. And the Bible calls all of us to be like Christ in many different ways. But one of the ways the Bible calls us to be like Christ is in our humility. It says, look at Jesus' example, humility, and be like him. Look at Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. The Bible says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, okay, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he did something. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What those two verses just described, verse 7 and verse 8, they just described Christmas and Easter. Look at that. Verse 7 says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant by born, being born in the likeness of men. It describes what happened at Christmas, that Jesus came to this earth in humility at Christmas time. And verse 8 describes Easter, saying, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What that saying is that Jesus being fully God from the beginning, being co-equal with the Father and co-equal with the Holy Spirit, he, he became fully man for a purpose. And that purpose was to be a perfect sacrifice. Because if he wasn't fully man as well, then his sacrifice wouldn't count. It wouldn't take our place. Because it had to be equal. And so he humbled himself. This is, this is ultimate humility that God himself, who created everything, can you imagine, said, you know what, I'm going to become a man so that I can, that can win people okay, to salvation, so I can save them. And that's what Jesus has done. That's ultimate humility. And I was thinking about, how can I describe ultimate humility? And I was thinking about our, one of our founding fathers, George Washington. We look at that guy, and we're like, you know what? That was a good guy. You know, everything he did, George Washington, kind of famous for all the good things that he did. Well, when the Revolutionary War ended in, in 1783, the, the King of England, King George III, he asked his envoys who had gone over to, to the, new, the New Americas and asked them, asked them what is George Washington doing? Like, what is, he, what is he all about? And he was told that Washington went back to his farm, which was mind-blowing to the king at that time because if you conquered another nation, if you won a war, what happened is whoever's in charge became like the emperor, became the king. 
And that was what was kind of expected of George Washington during that time, that Europe was thinking that, okay, now the United States is going to have, they're going to have a king, and it's going to be King Washington. Well, he realized that, no, Washington went back to his farm. He went back to Mount, Mount Vernon, and here's what the king said. He couldn't believe it, and he said this. If this be true, then George Washington must be the greatest man in the world. I was thinking, why would he say that? Well, it's because power is so enticing, isn't it? Right? I mean, can you imagine if you were George Washington, you had all that power, everybody loved you, you had just done something amazing. It would have been so easy to say, guys, I'm in charge now. Here's what we're going to do. In fact, people wanted to call him his majesty when he actually became president. And it took five years. He actually was in, at his farm for five years before he came back to Washington and said, okay, I will be, I will be the president. I'll be the president. He said, you can't call me his majesty. You've got to call me Mr. President. And at the end of his presidency, he only served two terms. And he said, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to let someone else take control because I don't want all this power. Here's what he said. He said this to his friends. Gentlemen, if you wish to speak to me again, it will be under my own fig and vine. He said, hey, I'm out. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He said, I'm going home. I'm going back. If you want to talk to me, come to my house, okay? I'll be working out in the fields. That's what true humility is. True humility is, is when you actually have all the power and you give it up for a greater purpose. That's what true humility is. And that's what we got to realize about Jesus, that Jesus, he was not by nature a man who gained some type of, of esteem or, or elevated himself by doing certain things. That's not who Jesus is. He's not a guru who did good things. He's not a good teacher that did good things. The Bible's really clear that Jesus is God who humbled himself. He went the other way. That's what true humility is. He humbled himself to become a man and ultimately to die on the cross for you and me. He rescued us. And the way he rescued us, his vehicle for rescuing us is his humility. He humbled himself. Now, if we go back to this passage, Matthew 28, there's one other, one other word that we have kind of, we've kind of left out, and I think it's a really important word. So go back, here's, here's what it says. And Jesus came and said to them, he said, all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, what does all mean? I've been doing a lot of research. I looked at the Greek, this word, and, and parsed it, and, and looked up all these commentaries and tried to figure out what in the world does this word mean? What is Jesus trying to say? And here's, here, this is crazy, okay? What this is really saying, when Jesus says all, he's saying all, okay? I mean, that's it, right? He's just saying all. I mean, just simple as that. He's saying all. He's saying all authority is mine. Not, he doesn't have limited authority. He's saying all power is mine. Not, not some power. He's saying all, all, of, all authority and power and control is mine. Not some of it. He's saying all. Completely mine. What this is saying is that he has infinite authority. Infinite authority. Or in other words, Jesus' authority is limitless. If you write that down, that'd be great. Jesus' authority is limitless. And so if you, if you look back, we've seen that he's, Jesus is in charge, okay? All right, so he has, he has authority. He is in charge. We also see that he has, has um, come in humility for a purpose and for our benefit. But then we also see in this, this statement of Jesus is the level of his authority. And his level of authority is limitless. And the Bible proves it. Don't have time to go through all the things that, that Jesus did to show his authority. He didn't just say it. He actually proved it 
The Bible says he is the creator of all things, that he holds the spiritual and physical worlds together, that he governs nature. Can anybody do that? Nope. Okay. He's sovereign over Satan and demons, that he oversees the controls of all man and controls all mankind's affairs. He has authority to forgive sins. He has power over death, and he is the boss of the church. That's what the Bible describes in the Gospels that, that Jesus has. Jesus has all authority, and his authority is limitless. John Piper says this about Jesus. I think it's a good quote to, to read to you today. He says this, that the risen, reigning King of kings and Lord of lords, he reigns over this world. Talking about Jesus. He reigns over this world and over his mission with absolute sovereignty. Nothing is outside of his sovereign will. If he is met with resistance, he either allows it for his purposes or he overcomes it for his purposes. His sovereign purposes are never thwarted. That is who God is. This is the God we worship. This is the God we serve. This is the God who created us. That's Jesus. This is Jesus. So how should we respond to him? When Jesus makes this statement that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, how should we respond? Because every time we hear a statement by Jesus, it should cause a response in us. So what should we do? Well, since Jesus has all authority, that understanding, if you really get that, that Jesus is, is more than just the baby Jesus in the manger, if we understand the authority that Jesus has, if we really truly get that and grasp that, which is hard to do, but if we, if we kind of get a glimpse of that and have an understanding of that, what it ought to do is cause us to obey him. It should cause obedience. Another way of putting that is, is this, to, to wave your white flag. To wave your white flag, you know what that means, right? To, to wave your white flag is, is saying, I surrender, I give up. How many of you guys watched the game last night? Come on, anybody? All right, so I watched, watched the game last night, and you can look at this game and realize, whether you're an OU fan or OSU fan, that Bedlam was crazy because no team gave up, right? There was no surrender at all. I mean, each team was battling as hard as they could. At the very end, these guys were exhausted. The OU quarterback was exhausted. He couldn't, he couldn't even feel like he couldn't even take an, another snap. He was so tired. And the OSU defense was so tired. The final play, I don't know if you watched it, but the final play, the defensive end literally crawled to the quarterback to tackle him at the, the very last play. Now, that is complete exhaustion. That is going to the point of exhaustion. That is no surrender at all. But you know what it's like when your team is just getting killed? It's 60 to nothing. They're like, they're just giving in, right? And there's, there is surrender in the middle of that. You, you can see it on their faces, on the sidelines. They're just like, we've lost already. We, we can't do it anymore. You see it, how, how they, they block. They, they just kind of go halfway, and they don't, they don't try their hardest. They don't run as fast as they can. They don't run the routes as, as crisp as they should because they, they know it's over, right? There's no coming back from that. They're just hoping that the clock goes as fast as possible so they can go home, right? I mean, they're, they're, just, they're just done. That is, that is an example of surrender. And what Jesus is calling all of us to do is to surrender. And it is unconditional. There's no conditions to this surrender where you say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to surrender to you, Jesus. I'm going I'm I'm to make you, I'm going I'm to ask you to be my, my savior, okay? I'm going to ask you to be my savior and save me from my sins. And, and I'm surrendering to that. But when it comes to you being Lord of my life, you know, there, there's just kind of, there's some conditions to my surrender that, you know what? I, I want to do that, but I'm giving you being savior, but you, you can't really be my Lord. 
and I'm going to be the Lord of my own life. And I'm going to do what I want to do. I am under my own authority and my own wisdom. And I'm going to live my life the way that I want to live. That is not waving your white flag. But God is calling every single one of us, if we understand his authority, he's calling every single one of us to surrender. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. We read the other verses earlier talking about his humility and what he did. And then there's a change in this little passage. And here's what it says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. That's different than humility. That's different than him hanging on a cross. He's highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what being a Christ follower looks like. Being a Christ follower is complete and unconditional surrender. Being a Christ follower is not just believing some things. It is completely surrendering to Jesus. That is different. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, you know what? I brought my cross up to the hill, and that was my my level of obedience. No, he says, I've been crucified. He didn't say, I've, I've uh, got the cross and set it up and I'm just kind of standing and looking at it. No, he says that he gets up on his metaphorical cross and says, I completely surrender my life to Christ. He said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's painful, guys, to watch partially surrendered Christians. People that say, I am, I'm halfway in. I'm not fully and completely surrendering to Christ. But when Jesus died and he rose from the grave, he gives us his terms of surrender. And his terms of surrender are unconditional. Unconditional and complete surrender. And now you think about that and you're like, that doesn't sound very good. Like, he's making me surrender everything? Well, here's what Jesus says in John 10.10. 10. He says that the thief, you know what the thief does? Thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's the only thing that the thief comes to do. And some of us think about surrender in those terms, like the, the invading army comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and when they've conquered us, they offer uh, terms of unconditional surrender. And Jesus says, I have, I'm offering terms of unconditional surrender in your life, but I have not come to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's what I've come to do. He says, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. What that means is that when Jesus says to unconditionally surrender your life to him, he says, I've got a better life for you, Right? This life you think that you have and you got, you got all figured out, I am the king of kings and lord of lords. I created everything. I can handle it. I've got something better for you. But you know what? you got to surrender it. you got to surrender your will to me. you got to wave your white flag. So to finish, I want us to go back to Matthew 28, to the Great Commission, and we need to kind of look at it in one chunk and tie it all back together. Here's what it says. Jesus came. And he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you put all of this together, when you put his authority with, with uh, his call in our lives, here's what you get. Jesus' authority 
is fuel for our mission. Jesus' authority is fuel for our mission. What that, what that saying, what I mean by that is that if, if Jesus does not really have all authority, then what are we doing? Right? I mean, think about it. If Jesus doesn't have all authority, if you really don't believe it, like we should just close this place down and sell it and divide it up and go do our own thing, right? That's what we should be doing. Church should not exist. The Christian life should not exist. Living for Christ should not be something that you should be doing if he does not have all authority. And so he says that first. He says, all authority has been given to me. So now go. Go and do what I've called you to do. So let me ask this. Have you surrendered to Christ? Have you truly given your life to him? Have you not only made him your savior, but have you made him your Lord? So you know what? My life is not my own anymore. I'm gonna let you have it because I believe and trust that you have a better life for me. Have you done that today? Have you surrendered? And are you living on mission? That's the other question. For those of you who say, you know what? I am, I'm surrendered. I'm surrendered fully to Christ. My question for you is, are you living on mission? Are you taking the authority that Jesus has? I mean, he's in control. He's got you. And he gives you a call. Are you doing that? Now, that may mean going overseas, but you know what? It might mean going to your next door neighbor's house. It might mean going to the cubicle next to you at work and, and talking to your friend about Christ. Loving someone. Wherever you go, that's what the Bible says. Wherever you go, as you go, make disciples. Are you living on mission? Man, we need to look at Jesus' authority and see that it changes everything. Let's live that way. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the, the authority that you've given Jesus. And he actually has had it all, all along, but he, he humbled himself to be our sacrifice, and you've given him all that authority back. And that is, that's crazy. It's mind-blowing. We can't understand it. We can't fathom it, but... But God, I pray you'd help us to trust you. Help us to trust Jesus, who is creator of all things, who came and humbled himself during Christmas time so that he could die a sacrificial death on the cross to save us from our sins. And God, I pray if anybody in this room has never accepted that free gift, I pray that they would do that today. Here in just a second, as we, as we sing in just a moment, I pray that they would stand up and, and go talk to somebody. I pray, God, that you would, you would convict them of their sin and, and, and give them freedom today in Christ and that they would totally surrender. And I pray, Lord, if, if there's some of us in this room who have not really surrendered certain areas of our life over to you, maybe it's our finances, maybe it's our our families, maybe it's our kids' futures. God, I pray, I pray for us. Help us, God, to really trust you. We gotta lay those things down. We can't keep holding on to them. So God, help us to surrender and live on mission for you. Your words are powerful, God. All authority has been given to you. So God, help us to live for you today. We pray in Jesus' name.